and welcome to the Blessed Life Podcast, where we explore together how to walk in the promises of Jesus. I'm Eric Anderson, Discipleship Pastor of New Life Lutheran Church. Thanks for joining us today. Today on our podcast, we are going to continue our conversation on discipleship as we see it in the book of Colossians. We spent the first few weeks discussing Colossians, discussing what we see there, and we learned that discipleship in the Christian life is not so much this attempt to grow as we might grow in some other area of life, like practicing piano or a sport, but rather discipleship in the Christian life is walking in and claiming, laying claim to the gifts and promises that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And we have begun to explore what those promises are. We spent a couple weeks talking about confidence, and now we are talking about discipline. Last week, we began that conversation about the gift of discipline and what that means for us, and we talked about Scripture and prayer. We discussed the importance of Scripture and prayer and how to begin in a life of Scripture and prayer. And today, we are continuing that conversation about discipline. And we are going to be moving. Uh, we are going to be moving in a little bit of a different direction than we were last week. Last week uh, we were laying the foundation for discipline, the basic disciplines that we must do: prayer and scripture. And today we are going to discuss another very important thing that happens to us when we uh, walk in the promises of God. And that is not only are is this struggle. We talked about the struggle last week. Not only do we have this struggle in our mind, this war in our mind, that we must rage against uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, Not only is our mind transformed, but also our lives are transformed. How we behave and operate in the world is transformed as well, and discipline plays a part in that. We, uh, We might call this obedience to Jesus, walking in obedience to him. And as we get into this conversation, I want to begin by discussing the topics of means and ends. There's a saying in our world, the ends justifies the means. And in that saying, there's this assumption that whatever you're trying to accomplish, if what you are trying to accomplish is good, it's okay to get there by any means necessary or to maybe bend the rules or to maybe Uh, do something that would be considered outside of the norm or outside of what is good and right in order to achieve that good end. And so we say the ends justifies the means. How we get to a thing is not as important as the thing itself. How we accomplish a goal is less important than having the goal be accomplished itself. And this is true in, in how we approach uh, things like war. It's true in how we approach things like politics. It's true in how we approach our careers as well. We are told in politics that it's okay if we don't have somebody who does everything right as long as they have the right political agenda. We are told in our workplaces by our bosses that we have this bottom line we have to hit, and it doesn't really matter how we get there We just have to see the numbers. We have to see the sales. We have to see the growth. And as long as we can get there, we'll be okay. The ends is what we focus on, especially here in the United States. We focus on the ends, the goal, 
And we say that that justifies how we get there. As long as the goal is pure, as long as the goal is good, we can get there by any means necessary. The problem with this is that this is not the way that Jesus taught. Because you see, Jesus, he says that the means, the way that we get there, is the ends. Jesus did not say, I am the goal of life or I am the end of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. And in the Greek, that literally means road. He said, I am the path that you ought to travel in your life. That Jesus is the means by which we operate in the world. For Jesus, the means, the way, the path is the purpose. How we operate in, a, in the world and go about our life is the goal of our life. Going about our life and operating it in a way that is honorable and obedient to Jesus is the ends that we are trying to reach. So for Christians, the means, the way that we go about our life, the way that we go about our decision-making, the way that we go about our work is the goal, is the ends. Doing these things in the way that Jesus did them, that is the goal. Jesus transforms the way that we go about our life. And so we're going to discuss a couple of things here. The first one I want to discuss is uh, the spiritual gifts, and that is self-control. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, when we talk about these promises from God given to us in Jesus Christ, we're reminded again that this is a gift and it is not something that is earned. Uh, these gifts, these, uh, the things that we're going to talk about today are not things that we earn, but they are things that are given to us and we walk in them. We have to claim them because Jesus has given them to us. And we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about self-control. We're going to talk about patience, and we're going to talk about graciousness. Now, self-control and graciousness are related. Self-control has to do with controlling our passions and desires, and graciousness has to do with how we interact with other people. We're going to start with self-control, controlling our passions and desires. You see, our passions and our desires, they tell us lies. Our flesh is one of the enemies that we have to struggle against in our mind and in our life. You see, we as humans, we are attracted to flashy things. We like shiny objects. We like attractive lives. We like people who are famous and people who are important, and we seek those things for ourselves. We always think that we are more important than we are. We desire the things that are flashy. We desire the things that are attractive. We desire the things that look good. We seek fame and we seek importance in our lives. And we see this all throughout our lives, especially in our work where we feel like we are failures if we don't have a certain amount of social media followers. We feel like we're failures if we don't achieve a certain career level. We feel like failures if we don't play a sport past a certain level. We feel like failures when we made mistakes in the past and we are not able to live up to the life that we think we ought to have lived. We all have this idea of the perfect life. 
we all have this idea of the meaningful life. And when we don't achieve that thing, it weighs on us. And we think that we have failed. We desire those things that are flashy, those things that are attractive, and the things that are important. We also seek power. We seek power in our relationships. We seek power in our culture. We believe that we have the right um, ideal. Uh, we have the right ideology, and that others ought to uh, have the same ideology. We believe that we have the right political ideas, and we believe that others need to agree with our political ideas. Or we believe that we have this, the right economic ideas and that others need to simply agree with us. And then what we do is we use violence to gain power. And we can simply look at the political landscape the last eight years or so and see just how true this is. That humans, we will use violence as much as we can. And I don't just mean physical violence, but we will use violence in our minds, in our words, and in our actions. We speak poorly of others. We make up lies. We allow uh, our biases to be confirmed. We look at evidence and we don't think critically about it. And so we believe the worst about our political enemies, our ideological enemies, or economic enemies, and we use violence. We use harsh words. We use um, angry ideas and we use angry opinions in order to tear down others and to gain power. This is attractive to us. The way of Jesus, though, is different. Jesus went the way of humility. Jesus decided that what was flashy and attractive, in fact, wasn't what was important. He spent his time caring for and ministering to those who were invisible, to those who were outcast. And he said, in fact, that the kingdom of heaven is with those who are powerless and that those who are sick and afflicted and poor are blessed. He said that is, in fact, where the kingdom is most at work. As a pastor, it is especially tempting to look to what is flashy, to look to what is attractive in order to get more people into the church or more people involved in the church. It's tempting for me to want to be flashy and attractive in order to attract people to the church, to seek fame and to seek importance. But Jesus went a different way. He said, the loser, the sick, the child, the powerless, those are the people who have the kingdom. Those are the people who are closest to the kingdom. That is where the kingdom of God is being built presently. Paul, in one of his letters, those who were Christians in the town that he was writing to were the lowlifes. They were the scum of the earth. They were not impressive people. And that is where God ordained to work in that community, was those people who were seen as outcasts, as lowlifes, as scum of the earth. This is where the kingdom of heaven is built, and this is where Jesus is most active. Jesus had a sense of humility, of deep humility, going to the places that were unattractive, going to the places that were not flashy, and going to the places where society says these people aren't important, and that's where he did the bulk of his ministry. So self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that is given to us. And so what we must do is we must deny ourselves, and we must deny our desire for what is flashy, and what is attractive, 
We must deny our desire to do what is comfortable and to consume in that way and, in fact, turn to the ways of Jesus, to the means that he used to operate in his life, to turn toward these fruits of the Spirit. The chief fruit of the Spirit being love, and love being the, the fruit that all others flow out of, and the last being self-control. Now, there are two fruit in this list that I think uh, do a nice job of encapsulating the rest of the fruit. And, uh, and so I just want to talk about two more here, and I want to talk about patience and gentleness. And the other word that I'm using for gentleness is graciousness. So that's the word that I'm going to use when we talk about this. Um, again, this is one of those situations where uh, there are kind of multiple English words that we can use to understand this concept. They, they all help us have an accurate uh, understanding of what this word is in the original language. So gentleness or what I'm calling graciousness. So patience and graciousness. So let's talk about patience first. Uh, one of my favorite translations for this word, patient, is found in the King James Version, and it's long-suffering. Long-suffering. And I think that's a much better word for patience because I understand the word patience and it's a word that we use all the time, but I don't think that we quite... Patience has a connotation where we're simply trying to, we're trying to get through the thing that is causing us to feel impatient. So when we think about patience, it's almost like we're simply trying to wait to get over the thing as quickly as we can, to just have enough patience to get through the situation. But when we use the term long-suffering, I feel like that gives us a better read on what that actually means, that we are long-suffering in whatever situation that we are in. Maybe it's an awkward conversation. Maybe we are dealing with somebody who has a bad attitude or who is maybe demeaning us or being rude to us. But in that moment, we are suffering a little bit. And sometimes it's a little suffering, sometimes it's a lot but we are suffering a little bit. And I like this word long suffering because it's not the idea of we need to just wait long enough to get over whatever it is that's going on, but it's actually enduring longly in that suffering. It's long suffering. So we suffer for a long time. That's what patience is, is long suffering, being willing to enter into these moments of suffering, these moments of discomfort, and willing to wait and work through them for a long time. Another word that we might use uh, for this, and uh, maybe this could be my own translation of this Greek word, is stick-to-itiveness. That patience uh, in, this, in this context implies uh, the steadfastness in whatever situation that you're doing a decision to continue to work no matter what, uh, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it is, continuing to do the good work that you're doing. There's a stick there's a steadfastness that comes along with patience. As I observe uh, the Christian church, as I observe my own spirit and my congregation, I think that this long-suffering, this patience, this stick it's something that American Christians, uh, we lack in, we lack a great deal. For whatever reason, there's this habit that American Christians have that as soon as something goes wrong or doesn't go our way, 
we immediately protest and we think that there's something wrong with the world and we uh, we tend to get pretty worked up about things, be it politics or the culture or you know society as a whole, these types of things. We tend to um, panic really easily instead of being steadfast witnesses who have stick who have this long-suffering approach. Um, and really, in all reality, we get ruffled really easy as Christians. Uh, when things don't go our way, we go sideways really fast in our minds. Um, and we begin to panic really fast in our minds. And so there is this sense where if we are filled with the Spirit, what we are called to be is to be unruffled by the world around us. That when things don't go our way, it's not panic, it's not disillusionment, but it is a conscious decision to stick to the thing that we're doing, to stick to the good work that we're doing, instead of just letting it go out the window or having some sort of um, emotional breakdown because of what's happening. So we let ourselves get ruffled in our society, in our culture, in our own lives. Uh, But a fruit of the Spirit is this long-suffering, is being unruffled by the world, is being unruffled by the devil. And that's not something that we're particularly good at, and it's something that we definitely should and ought to grow in and walk in as we learn discipline and as we walk in the gift of discipline. The next thing that I think encapsulates the rest of these fruit is gentleness or graciousness. Now, if self-control is controlling our passions and how we operate in the world, graciousness or gentleness is controlling how we interact with other people. Christians are commanded to love others as ourselves. And not only just love our neighbors, like our spouse being our closest neighbor, then our kids being our next closest neighbor, then our uh, co-workers and our church family and those people who actually live physically next door to us uh, as our neighbors. Like, yeah, we're called to love all those people, but we're not only called to love those who are right around us, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love the people who are actively working against us and actively working against our interests. This isn't just some abstract ideal that Jesus throws out there. This is a, a, a command. You are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are working against you. We are called, we are commanded to make the decision to care for others, to care for those people who are right around us, and unfortunately, we have many of us have neighbors that we've never met. We don't even know their name, but we're called to love them. And how can you love somebody if you don't know their name? How can you love somebody if you don't even know their name? So we're called to love our neighbors, but we're also called to love our enemies, to have this attitude toward others that we are not, uh, we are not enemies to other people. They may be enemies to us, but we are not enemies to them. Uh, we, are all, we are to be on the side of all humanity, even those who disagree with us. We are to be on the side of goodness and graciousness and gentleness. Uh, we are to be on the side of choosing to speak well of others and to work and to collaborate with others instead of working against others. And this is a kind of anti-violence, where violence attempts to work against someone else in order to cause them harm. Gentleness and graciousness is making the decision to work with others in order to make their lives better. And that includes our enemies. 
And so it's this backwards way of operating. But again, the, the ends are the means. When we operate in our lives, we will be judged. And so when Jesus makes these commands, we are expected to follow them. We are expected to love our enemies. We are expected to pray for those people who persecute us. We are expected to collaborate and work for a better life for even those people who don't like us. And you can imagine that this is a huge struggle for us. It's a struggle in our minds. It begins in our minds. And that's why we have to devote ourselves to prayer and to scripture, because we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to renew our mind day by day by scripture and by prayer. And then we have to struggle to have that self-control, to say no to our desires for what is attractive and flashy and big and bold and what we see as good. We have to say no to our desire for power and our desire for violence. And we have to say yes. We have to say yes to long-suffering, say yes to stick to to say yes to steadfastness, and to say yes to graciousness. Say yes to caring for others and collaborating with others, even if we disagree with them, even if we don't like them and they don't like us, and even if they are persecuting us, we make the decision to pray for them, to work for their good, and to collaborate with them as often as we can. This is the struggle because it goes against everything that we think. It goes against everything that we have been taught and trained how to operate in the world. And this is why the Spirit is necessary, because we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this unless it is a gift from God. We cannot do this unless it is given to us to do. We cannot do this unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to operate in this way. And so this is the gift of discipline, and we must walk in it. We must walk in it by saying no to ourselves, saying no to our desires, and saying yes to long-suffering, saying yes to steadfastness, and yes to to graciousness. What does it mean that in Jesus, the means are the ends? Where in your life have you identified this desire for what is flashy and attractive or what is impressive or big? Where in your life do you see yourself being attracted to those things? How can you say no to things that are flashy and attractive, to things that are important, to things that give you and gain power? How can you say no to those things this week? And how can you say yes to the things and to the people who are unimportant, unattractive, and not flashy? Think of one neighbor and one enemy if you can. How can you be gracious and gentle with those people this week? How can you love your neighbors and love your enemies this week?